everybody. So we've been in season six of the Liturgist podcast, which has been all about pulling apart the stories that pull us apart. But often these podcasts are recorded weeks, if not months ahead of time. And then we gather audience stories and we edit things together. And uh, we're all living now in a world where months ago doesn't feel like the same <laughs> world that we are inhabiting now. Um, so we're kind of pushing pause on the the specific um, format being really cleanly fitting the format of season six for now. This is sort of season COVID because uh, world, the world is changing so quickly and, and we're going to still have conversations about the same sort of things that we normally talk about. Uh, but we're just, it's going to be a little less edited, a little less like we've been planning it in advance because we're not planning it in advance. We're talking week to week now because it just seems like the world we're in again, just to stay present to uh, what's happening. It just, for now, this is season COVID, <laughs> not season six. Um, but that's still, we're, I'm still like super excited about today's conversation because this, this is a conversation and this person, Ruthie Lindsay, uh, welcome Ruthie. Thank you. Uh, is, is a friend um, and brilliant, beautiful soul. And, She's got a lot to share, whether it's COVID season or not. Um, but some of her experiences are very relevant to what a lot of us are experiencing right now. Um, being cooped up and pain and loss and grief and all that sort of stuff. So her book, There I Am, The Journey from Hopelessness to Healing, comes out April 21st. So we'll talk some about that, but we'll also talk just about what's going on and how we're all feeling. And this idea of the journey from hopelessness to healing, I think, is pretty relevant uh, to where a lot of us, a lot of us are feeling kind of hopeless right now. So welcome to the podcast, Ruthie, and everybody else. Welcome to the Literature's Podcast. Thank you. I'm really, really grateful. Ugh, we're so excited to have you. And as one of my dearest friends, you mean so much to me and the chance to talk about your book and this project and, and to hear from you in this time feels like such a gift to me. And I know it will be to all of us. So thank you for joining us. I know that um, one of the things that I've heard you say in the last little while is that your your story, some of the things that you've been through while you have been through them and come through the other side, were still a way that you were orienting your life in a way that there was still a sense of, of some of the things that you've been through as being defining of you in some ways. Often I know that in, in the public eye, your story has gotten you an opportunity to speak about pain and healing in on such a large scale. And yet in some ways, what that has done is, again, is reinforced that your life is about some of these things yeah. that you've been through. Yes. So with that in mind, and the desire to see you as so much more than <laughs> the most painful parts of your life, I also know that in your book, there's so much of an invitation for us to experience and explore healing, to see a whole journey, to see all of you. And... I guess I'm just wondering as we're as we're meeting in this point, this place and time, which is yes, understanding the context of everything that's going on around us, but also with this 
this beautiful book of yours that's coming out telling your story, what would it be helpful for our listeners to know about who you are if they're new to your work? Uh, how would you like to people to know you right now in terms of uh, how you see yourself just as an entry point to our conversation? Hmm. I love that. I mean, you're so right. I think, you know, I knew that when I lived in my bed, that my whole identity was wrapped up in this pain story. And I thought that's exactly who I was. But what I, I didn't realize is in the past seven years, as I changed my life and I, you know, lived in my bed for seven years, I jumped into trying to help as many people as I could and started sharing my story. And until I actually went to onsite, um, where you can't tell anyone what you do for a living and, you know, you give up your phone. And I realized that that was still so much of my, identity was that pain story. Cause I could, someone would say, well, what do you do? I'm a speaker. What do you speak about? I share my story and I could give this little blurb and all of a sudden I'd get this like, wow, you know? And so I think for me, so much of the journey has been like, as you talk about, as we all talk about so much, unlearning all of these, you know, human doing things, these things that we do in the world as being our identity and just being like, I I am, you know, human and I am love and I am, I'm inherently worthy and valuable just like every other human and anything that I'm going to tell you right now, like speaker or podcast, any of those things, I don't know. Um, even this pain story, um, they don't necessarily, even though my ego thinks that's who I am, and I have to remind myself a freaking lot because I forget everything. <laughs> I know that none of those things, like I, I want to be, I really, I want to be really, really loving to myself and I want to be really, really loving to my community. I hope that's what a friend would say. It's like, who's with you? She's like a really good friend. I hope that that would be, because, and I fall short of that a lot, you know, but I hope that I'm being a really good friend to myself and then a really good friend to my humans and a really um, loving aunt. (laughs) I have the most incredible nieces and nephews on freaking planet earth. But yeah, I think it's, um, even like writing the book, I'm kind of like bored with my pain story now. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> like, there's, I think I like get really excited to talk about healing that, you know, um, I think is for all of us. And even with the title though, like afterwards, I'm like, man, I wish I could have just put dot, dot, dot and hopelessness and to healing and to hope. Cause like it's ongoing. Like mm-hmm. I've definitely, yeah. I mean, just in the last few weeks felt a lot of hopelessness at times and felt really, really shattered and gutted and, you know, for me and for the collective and felt all the things, but that doesn't take away that I also, in the other, on the other hand, really fully, completely trust in healing also. But I think that'll be the ongoing journey until I'm freaking on the other side <laughs> in, the, in the in between, you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. ongoing. I'm so glad you mentioned the process, the back and forth of that, that we don't get to healing as yeah. some sort of place that we arrive at and no. then just stay there. Yeah. And I, I think I've definitely believed that at times, you know, and 
for it to a great disservice to myself because of the shame that I felt when I was like, wait, I thought I already did this. I thought I already, you know, went through that and experienced um, the healing of that. And then, then being able to go back and be like, oh no, I just get to go even deeper and on a stronger, like I get to go, I had to do that level of healing to go to an even deeper place, right. to even be at a place where I could wrap my head around some of these things that I were stuck inside of me that I didn't even know needed to be healed, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of changing my world, not my, just changing my whole viewpoint on it, that it's like, no, it doesn't mean that that healing wasn't real. Now you just get to even go deeper and you have more right. that you get to expand upon and grow with. And like, what a gift. That's that's the human journey, you know? <laughs> like I hope mm-hmm. when I'm 95 years old, I have a little notebook being super curious and like trying to learn and grow and experience, you know? Like I, I hope I never think that I could arrive until I'm dead. <laughs> you know, one of the things you mentioned is is that you spent seven years in your bed, and I know that you tell us a lot more about how you got there and what that was like for you in the book. And so maybe this is a good chance to to tease people with that and to tell them to go read your book. But one of the things that I've noticed for people who've been through particularly traumatic or salient experiences is that what we're going on in the world around us has surprised them in bringing them back to those in some ways. So for people who grew up experiencing neglect, feeling like they can't access their friends has felt like so much um, re-experiencing of the trauma or being restricted in your movement in some ways has felt like coming back to a season where you were, um, yeah, again, restricted in your movement, that our body remembers all these things that we've been through. And so I'm just curious if, if there's something about the right now that's reminding you in some way of what you'd been through before and how you're dealing with that, what it's been like for you. Absolutely. I I definitely have felt myself um, feel really triggered. And actually, Miles and I had a conversation the other day, which was really helpful to have a lot more grace for myself because he was like, you know, we've done these huge programs at Onsite for people that were in mass shootings and for people that went to war. And the ones that come, like people can experience the exact same thing. And the ones that are here and aren't handling it well are struggling in the midst of it. Were re- it all had early childhood trauma and it's re-triggering mm. old stuff that hadn't necessarily been healed before. And so that gave me, it's almost like I needed that permission to have grace for myself because this has felt triggering in a lot of ways of, you know, I live alone and being um, I think when we have trauma responses, it's like fight, flight, freeze, and mine is freeze. Um, and so I found myself paralyzed in a lot of ways and not knowing like what to do and going back to some old coping skills. And, and then after, after noticing that and seeing myself shutting down and being really fearful and feeling triggered of being alone in this home by myself again, you know, I, um, I've been doing a lot of really, probably more than the work I need to be doing, but a lot of self-care, um, a lot. Like I've been doing a ton of embodiment practices and reminding myself that I'm safe. And like, I do the thing that you taught me all the time now, because all I want is someone to hold me and tell me that right. I'm okay. It's like yeah. my deepest. And so I've been doing that for myself, like 
literally every day I hold myself and I say, you are safe, you are loved, you are held. And I just have been also copying what Liz Gilbert talked about, like writing a a letter to love. And she's like, well, what do you think love would say to you? It would be all the things that you would long for a partner to say to you right now. So while I'm hugging myself and touching myself, I'm like, I will never leave you. I am here. I love you so much. And I'm just trying to have this like really, really tender, gentle, kind, loving things. Like today I felt a lot of stuff come up earlier this morning and I just took a pause on the work I was doing and I went and I did this like beautiful embodiment yoga (laughs) practice and wrote, I journaled for like four pages and then I was like, wow, that was an hour and a half of not doing this other stuff, but it felt so needed and so loving. And I, you know, when I had these stories come up of shame and these things that don't serve anything, you know, I'm like journaling a lot and actually started the artist way again, just to like give myself this time to process because I was avoiding writing. Cause I was, I think really just avoiding myself, um, and my feelings. And so that's felt really, really loving to help myself process right now and to be just really gentle, um, really, really gentle with myself. Um, and those not kind words that sometimes I, you know, just easily can fall back to. So I'm like writing those down and then actually like switching them to affirming phrases, which has been really sweet Hmm. too. I noticed you did that even when you mentioned coping skills. What a, (laughs) I love your little, like I notice in your writing and in your speaking, you have lots of little tiny things that you'll say that seem like they've come from some experience yeah. of why you would change words. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love you call Mrs. God. And the, <laughs> just little things. It's like, Ooh, there's a lot to that one little yeah. three letter <laughs> yeah. thing there. Um, but coping skills rather than like coping mechanisms right. or other ways that we talk about that. Yeah. Um, how do you, and Hillary would love to hear any of your thoughts on this as well. How do you, do you see any difference between, the things that are obviously like good, healthy, loving self-care things right now, like holding yourself and and embodiment practices and uh, and things that are like anybody would agree, yeah, that's a good thing to be doing. Do you differentiate between that and binging that Netflix show or eating the, you know, like what's, how do you differentiate what is a coping skill Yeah, <laughs> and a, a quote unquote healthy practice. If we're saying it's a coping skill. That's part. A lot of times we use these coping skills t- to be okay and to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and when you add shame to that, it yeah. just makes it, you know, when it's like, I should be doing something better. I should be doing exercise and embodiment right now, but instead I'm just eating lots of ice cream, which I've done that um, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what I, I hear the positivity yeah. of, even when you're saying coping skills, but then how, do you differentiate between those types of responses um, to your scenarios and, and uh, how, how do you differentiate those? Well, Hillary will have a way better answer. I'm sh- <laughs> I know <laughs> that I know that I know I'll let you go. And then I'll tell you what I, <laughs> what I've been doing. I'm, I'm not sure. Is, I don't know. It's what works for oh, me. Why don't you start? I want to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, I have, I do have my old coping mechanisms, quote unquote, you know, that I fall back to, which for me and Hillary, you know, that's like mine. I can, 
so quickly go back to food to just stuff how I feel and to numb out and disassociate and to not be here when I feel triggered or I feel scared or I don't know what to do with big feelings. Um, I can easily and quickly, that's one of my first ones. Also, um, like mine are entertainment, food. Those are like my, my big ones. And so I have seen myself 100% doing those things. And so um, in the last week and a half, I, I've kind of just made an assessment. I'm like, what does that make me feel better? No, it doesn't. It's made, I, I felt really sad, like really, really, really sad. And I gave myself space. I wasn't like beating myself up for doing it, but I did do that. And then I was like, I, I feel like I, it just put me in a darker mindset. And so, you know, I put a timer on my phone on like certain apps that I didn't really pay attention to before. And I'm just like, when that goes up, when that goes off and it goes dark, that's it. That's the only time I get on my phone because it's not serving me to just be on here unless it's like FaceTiming my people, you know, like, of course, like we all need our phones right now, but the way I was using it felt scary and not good for me, you know? And then, and also with food. So even though like for me sitting down with my people and sharing meals are one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to do. And I can't do that right now. And so, um, instead of like eating mindlessly and eating my feelings in my bed, which I love to do, (laughs) even though it feels terrible, (laughs) I'm like actually creating like really delicious food for myself and um let giving myself the opportunity to sit down with for meals for myself and I'm trying not to have any music on any podcasts on any and like what is this like to just be with me what and it sometimes feels really uncomfortable honestly like really 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 uncomfortable and I've only been doing it for about a week but now it's I don't know. I'm like looking forward to this time of just um, mm-hmm. this thing that like has been is a food is a real that is one of my main struggles. And now I'm like letting it. I'm just trying to reframe what this is like. And this is nourishing my body. And I'm eating actually when I'm hungry and what my body is asking for. Like how loving, how sweet, how precious is that? Instead of eating two boxes of gushers <laughs> while I watch The Real Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and this is just it's like it's it's become a bit of like um a little meditation and I, listen i'm i'm alone so everything's going to look different for everyone some people have three kids at home and they're trying to you know that's that's not going to be their practice right now and that is you know that's of course like we're all whatever fits for you and feels like it's of service to your spirit that's something that i made a list of things that felt like I'm going to try to do each day. And it's not a big list because I don't want to, because if it's too big, it overwhelms me. I'm like, fuck that. Never mind. You know? And so that's one of the things that I'm doing for myself. And it has felt really, really sweet, even though also uh, uncomfortable. Mm. I love. And I love. Oh, go ahead, Michael. We both started with I love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear what you're going to say, Hillary, but just I was going to make a quick comment on that um just that i love how you're it's still about like pleasure and what you want Mm -hmm. and what your body wants rather than what you should be doing i'm not hearing should from you i'm not hearing uh you know it's better it's healthier for me to be doing these things than this other thing 
it's still about following what you actually want. Like, yeah. oh, I noticed that if I watch all this entertainment all day and stay on this app all day, it actually makes me sad. And that's right. not what I want. That's not what and I want. And then there's not a shame. And if you want to do that, fine. Yes. Great. Yes. Um, totally. So I just am noticing that and applauding it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, that's yeah. done. That's taken a lot of, I've shed myself a bazillion, billion, billion times before. So that's a, pra- that's a get, that's a practice, you know? And, but then once I, I'm like, what learning, what my body actually wants has like that, that's revolutionary for me as someone who has been mm-hmm. disassociated most of my, you know, life. And so coming back in, I'm like, wow, that tastes so much better right now. Or I'll think I want something and it's more of just like my mind. And then I'm like, that doesn't actually taste good. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, that's, I mean, that sounds so freaking basic, but for me, that's actually a really big it's not, deal. No. <laughs> it's yeah. a big deal because I'm learning to listen to my sweet little body that I thought hated me all these years. Right. I thought she hated me because of my pain and I thought she was an enemy number one. And so I'm like, F you, I hate you too, you know, and treated, mm-hmm. um, I called her it and treated um, her accordingly. And now I'm just, yeah, it's just a reframing. And it's really just been so much unlearning these stories that I believe so much. And yeah, it's, it's really been so sweet, so sweet. Hey, everybody. Before we jump back in to the conversation with Hillary and Ruthie, I just wanted to let you know that Ruthie is actually going to be at the Sunday thing this week. It's at 11 a.m. Pacific, and it's open to anybody. And we do this weekly Zoom call. There's usually, well, the last few weeks, there's been like two or 300 people. We meditate together. We do breakout discussions. And Ruthie will be there this weekend to join us and take your questions and should be a good time. That and so much more is available. This podcast is sort of the front door for the liturgist community for a lot of people. The liturgist is not just a podcast, it's a community. And we've got all sorts of stuff going on, including this thing called the Sunday thing. And uh, you can check that and a bunch of other things that we're doing out at theliturgists.com slash community. We'd love to see you this Sunday. One of the things I, I know about pain and illness, particularly when it's chronic, mm-hmm. when it exists over longer periods of time, is that those things happen in our body. They happen, we could even, maybe a more accurate way of saying it is they happen to our bodies. And, and so what that can mean is when we are experiencing illness or pain, our bodies feel like a liability or they feel like the enemy instead of instead of seeing our bodies as the place that... Oof, where the injury is happening and and turning up the affection and care and resourcing mm-hmm. for our bodies, what we do is we turn our bodies into these objects mm-hmm. that we hate, like you were saying. And so I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to f- to fall into healthy, I was going to almost say like fall in love with your body again. Maybe that's not the right way of saying it, but to build build the relationship with your physicality, with yourself as a body and to come from hating 
to this tenderness. I mean, what a, what a chasm to bridge. And it's ongoing. Listen, I am human and I am, I, I get the opportunity and the invitation to remind myself of that literally every day. I, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing journey. And, and I think honestly, I, you know, I writing this book, took me on more of a journey than anything so far, because I think you essentially kind of had to re-traumatize myself going back in. And I had been, you know, sharing my story as a living for about four or five years before, or probably four years before I started writing the book, but that I could speak for an hour and I could still stay pretty disassociated. I could, I love sharing stories. (laughs) I'm a storyteller. And so it, I could talk about it kind of in third person. Like it, it was like this thing that happened and, you know, and I could tap in and out of certain things or I could do a 15 minute Instagram post, but I didn't have to really be in it and writing this book. I mean, it's a two and a half year (laughs) process, right? Right. And I had to be in it and live in it and experience all this so, um, so brutally, um, really it was, it was so painful and it was so hard. And I felt, um, kind of like we were saying earlier triggered. And I, I found myself back in that bed. I found myself like my pain felt worse than it had ever been like exacerbated. Hello whatever that word is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it just it. Yeah. felt so much bigger than anything I thought I could handle. And I, up to that point, I thought going into my body would kill me because it, my pain was so great that I thought I can't go in there. So I jumped from living in my bed for seven years from the spinal cord injury to like, I'm going to help as many people as I can and jumping to try to just help and needing to feel needed honestly, to feel okay. And it became kind of my new drug. And I didn't realize until, I mean, hitting such a massive wall writing this book, because it was so painful that that became ultimately that kind of breakdown on some level, like became the largest breakthrough so far, which I'm sure I'll have plenty more, (laughs) you know, listen, by the end of COVID, I might have another big ass, just, (laughs) but I, um, I don't know. It just, it opened me up. It cracked me open because I was so desperate because I was so miserable and I felt so hopeless. I'm like, I can't do this. And I was lucky enough. I feel like the universe, God, Mrs. God, whatever you want to call it, like brought, miles and brought you and brought these people into my life that were these mirrors of um remembering like no this is the wow. only way that you can actually heal these things is by going in and and I think when we give ourselves that space that we're so deserving of and I started remembering what was like I started remembering what was so right with me and not what was like wrong with me. And I started going inside. I'd never meditated a day in my life. I thought that would literally be my, (laughs) the death of me going in. I thought that pain would be too big and Mm -hmm. starting to get quiet, starting to spend time in nature alone and quiet. I had never, I mean, like I'm a seven. I want to avoid pain and which is hilarious for me with chronic pain, but all I want was to avoid pain at all costs, you know? And so even if I'd go on a walk, I'd have music blaring or I'd have these things. And the more quiet and the more I came in, I I feel like these those stories started 
giving, it was giving myself an opportunity to remember (laughs) and to remember like, oh my God, this body, this body that has been holding me and loving me and, um, calling me home. Like I, I really, with every ounce of me, believe that every single thing that happened were these like invitations for me to come home to myself and do this like really loving, really painful, but really, really, really loving work. And a lot of that was through like experiential therapy. A lot of that was through writing. Like it was crazy once I actually gave myself space to like feel the emotions. I learned about mind-body things through Dr. Vanderkolk. I had no idea that my body could hold on to trauma, which then could also be pain. And I learned from this woman named Nicole Sachs, this like journaling method where you literally write out these things as a child that we swallow that we don't think we can handle. Like in my home, I grew up where it was like really, you know, Southern and my mom was a child of alcoholics and everything was like, be pretty, smile and be cute and show up. And I wasn't allowed to feel, you know, rage. Oh my God, I would have gotten a whipping. You know, I wasn't allowed to feel fear. That, that would have, I would have, you know, I would, I got in trouble or I got made fun of. And so I swallowed all those things down, but they don't go away just because even though they might seem like minimal things, when you give yourself space to like process those and feel the things that you felt when you were in third grade and someone hurt your feelings on the playground. I mean, that stuff if you aren't given a chance to process it, it stays in your body. And so as I was doing that work, I actually felt pain relief, which I didn't think could be, I'm the only human in the, in the world that's had a wire in their brainstem. You know, my neck looks more like a fucking toaster oven than it does a spinal cord, but like I had, I have pain relief. And that just showed me that mind body connection and how like, Oh my gosh, this, this healing, this isn't, this isn't mine. Like we are, our bodies and our brains and our hearts, they're all looking, longing for homeostasis. They're longing to come back. And, and I think it was a just complete three, like 180 mind just shift and believing that my body was holding all this wisdom and love and care for me. I mean, it's just been, it's been so hard. It's been the hardest the last few years. Yeah. I mean, you've walked with yeah. me through so much of, of it, Hillary. It's been so painful. And it's also like the most beautiful, um, sweetest, loving, kindest thing that I've ever done. And I think before I thought I had to just go help all these people. And now I'm like, the more loving work I do on myself, that's the most healing thing I can ever do for anyone in my life. Because then I get to walk out and like be a mirror of like, this is yours. This isn't mine. This is yours. Like this is ours, you know? And Mm -hmm. that's felt so, it's shifted how I want to do every ounce of my work, you know? Um, yeah, it's. I feel like it's mostly been unlearning. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I thought I was this depraved, broken wretch, and I was taught that in my church. And to remember that I am so inherently good and worthy and loved and needed and held, and so is 
every other human. Like I thought I was broken. I actually, the proposal that I gave my, um, that I got a book deal with was my book was called Salvage, Building a Beautiful Life with Broken Parts. Cause I thought I was broken. Like I was calling myself trash, you know? And now I'm like, oh my gosh, you precious, precious soul. Like you were never broken. Broken, fucked up things happened. Yeah. For everyone. And we have these, these traumas. Like now instead of brokenness, I'm like, that's trauma. You're not broken. You're traumatized. You know, but you're inherently like you are whole and worthy and loved and good and needed and so uh, endeared. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just everything feels really different. Wow. I'm sitting here like it's nice being on a Zoom call where I can see your face and, and see Hillary's face. And I, I'm just thinking about like how that thing that you can tell when people have been through some pain and and used that rupture and that disruption of what we wanted and what we thought life was supposed to look like um, to grow and to evolve and to learn as opposed to fleeing and retreating and repressing and which can be the easier route but um you know, I mean, we've, I haven't mentioned spiral dynamics in quite a while on the show, but the idea of spiral dynamics, like they would talk about like, as you would evolve into sort of new ways of seeing the world, bigger context. A lot of times that those transitions into new worldviews, new world space or like spaces of consciousness don't happen by themselves. It, it takes some sort of disruption. It takes some sort of trauma or, or event or pain to eat to to be able to like if if it's not until that rung of the ladder is not working anymore that you climb up another rung you know mm-hmm. um and so here we are in this world that we're all experiencing this tr- disruption of on one level or another and i'm curious if you are hillary again um, because as i as i look at both of you i see people who have gone through a lot but have somehow uh, come out stronger, and mm-hmm. and and there's a character and a a strength and a resilience and a um, it's like a light even that I don't think that 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 doesn't come without a severe amount of pain, and I'm wondering from both of you how do you have any thoughts about how we can use or even how we respond to the pain, to the disruption in ways that we don't retreat backwards into (laughs) smaller ways of being, but that we can actually allow um, the growth that's possible and the evolution that's possible within a a severe disruption like this to, to take root. Ruthie, you get it girl. Well, then I really want to hear your (laughs) teach me. Thanks, Hillary McBride. I Well, first, before I even go into that, I want to say to both of y'all, and I mean this with every ounce of sincerity, like y'all way before I knew you were teachers to me. And I believe with every ounce of me that like 
I hear you say it all the time, Holly, like we are created to heal in community. And y'all were my community way before you <laughs> you knew it. Like I was so excited for y'all to catch up and realize that you're going to love me too. But I, <laughs> I was just waiting. Come on, humans, yes. catch up. But I look to people like I, you know, when I see someone that has true grounded joy, um, not like toxic positivity, which I have lived that truth many, many times, but true grounded joy. I assume that they have been through so much and they have done such beautiful, beautiful healing work on themselves. I, I just, I know too much to know that it can be any other way. Like we don't just arrive at something. And so I believe like from learning from y'all and I have other teachers that have been through so much hard shit and so much trauma. And they are not only, they're not just like survivors. They are wholehearted healing Yeah beautiful souls. And so I was lucky enough to have the Liturgist podcast and to have um, Miles and to have these people around me that I trust that had been through so much and had done really hard work to help be mirrors to me of what I was capable of doing. And, you know, I think for so long, even when I lived in my bed, I, when I first had that first breakthrough and I started weaning myself off the drugs and getting off everything, I heard that quote from Gobran, that the deeper sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And I think mm. what's so easy right now is for us, and it's so human. And if you're doing it, oh my God, of course you are. This is so hard, but it's so easy to want to numb and to not feel the weight of the things that we're feeling because it's so freaking hard and no one's ever been through this before. Of course you feel traumatized. Of course you're struggling. Of of course you feel angry and you're trying to numb yourself. Like we have these coping skills that happen way, way, way long ago to survive. So I want to first say if that's where you are right now, of course, like I I am you. (laughs) I feel you. It's so human. It's so human. And then on the second rung of that is now, like, how can this be this opportunity? I think for me, like writing feels really, really important because whatever I'm feeling and whatever you're feeling is important to feel. And I think us numbing it, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It just, then you feel shame and then it feels, it doesn't, it gets lodged, you know? And so whatever you can do to process what you're feeling for me, that's dancing and writing. Like that's my two, I, I mean, I've gotten to do five rhythms with you before and with both of y'all, it's like it, it's medicine for, for my sweet little soul. It really feels like medicinal and anything you can do to allow yourself to feel and also not comparing your situation to someone else. Cause that also brings so much shame. If you're like, well, yeah, I'm so disappointed. Like, cause I saw myself at first, I'm like so disappointed that my book tour was canceled and all these things. And then I felt shame. Cause I'm like, but these people are dying and these people can't feed their families and these people right. can't work. Yeah. And that doesn't serve just because I'm shaming myself doesn't, I'm not actually feeling empathy for them. I'm just, now I'm just thinking about myself with more shame. Yeah, you're not helping them. <laughs> I'm not helping them at shame. all. And so allowing myself space to feel whatever I'm feeling 
And giving myself that room to do that, that's exactly why I started The Artist Way because I was avoiding doing it, you know? And I'm like giving myself space. And then in the other hand, yes, feel so much gratitude. And I have so much that I am so grateful for. And that doesn't take away that this is still really hard and painful and shitty for me and the collective. And I feel both. And I think dismissing either one and just focusing on either one is a disservice to the whole. You know, and so I'm trying my 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 work that I'm like trying to be really tender with myself to do right now is letting myself have both. And because it is both. It's never one or the other. It's always both. Um, now, Hillary, you give us some more. Okay. <laughs> <Better>. <laughs> oh, gosh, Ruby, it's such a joy to listen to you and to see to see all of these things. Um take root and, and I, maybe the best word that I can think of is really alchemize mm-hmm. pain, um, mm-hmm. to take it from something that could feel destructive, reductive, disconnecting, silencing, and use it as this invitation to be gentle with yourself, uh, to connect you with other people, to dive deeper into knowing and loving yourself just really feels like, I don't know what else to call it except magic. Mm-hmm. It, it feels so so hard to describe. I mean, in, in my clinical world, the language that we often put on that is called transformance, mm. which is to say there is this something in the human spirit that kind of like the blade of grass pushing up between concrete always knows how to move us towards wholeness and the light. Mm. And, and that is always there. And when we are looking for that and kind of leaning into that part of ourselves, it will always take us to wholeness because yeah. that's written into us yeah. in that way. Oh. And so... Hillary, yes, last, I just, uh, I, I mean, I know I've told you this before, but I want to say it again because last year, so, you know, it's crazy. I think sometimes things happen in like sevens and I'm woo woo, but I really do believe that. But I lived in my bed for seven years and then I had a complete nervous breakdown. And then this last summer, the seven year anniversary of my breakdown, um, I stopped sleeping again. And it was so traumatizing and so scary. And again, those shame stories of like, I've already done this. Like, what, what, how can I be here again? My medicine in that time, like I literally would Google you and I would listen to anything Mm -hmm. I could find, any podcast with you on it, because you spoke such truth to my soul. I would like take myself out to nature when I had like, didn't sleep for a long time. And you kept reminding me of those truths. And you spoke Mm. so much, even though like we weren't necessarily talking all the time, but you spoke so much love and truth to me, to my body, to my spirit, to help me remember when I couldn't remember. Like my, when you don't sleep, your brain, (laughs) you can't think logically. And so I just want to thank you again. Like you, what y'all are doing, it's just... You're friends mm-hmm. to so many of us that, like, Michael, I know a lot about your story because you've shared so much, like, because of what y'all, you and Lisa, have been so generous to share with us of your really brutal, painful experiences and then allowing us the window in to see what your what your healing journey has looked like. Like, that has felt, that has been medicine for me mm-hmm. and just mirrors for me. So, I don't, I just love y'all so much. Oh, I'm so love grateful. you too, Ruthie. So grateful. And it's the same back to you. I mean, for you to come 
on this podcast for you to write your book is so generous. I mean, you're giving us, you're giving us all these parts of your heart, your pain and your wholeness and your healing and everything that happened in between. And you don't owe that to anybody. And I'm just so, so, so grateful that we get to keep learning because of how honest you are and because of all the work you've done. It seems to me like, um, we have choices. I mean, maybe that sounds obvious, um, but in moments where we feel overwhelmed, when we feel weighed down or suffocated by circumstances or pain, whether those are things that happen outside of us or we carry inside of our body, it to me, I, I constantly think back to Frankel, Victor Frankel, who write, wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and he he has so famously reminded us that no one can ever take choice from us. And sometimes we don't feel like we have enough energy to make a choice that makes anything different, but we always have the choice to say, this is the best that I'm doing, or this, this is, and I'm not going to add more pain to the story. And I think about these moments for me in my life where there has been incredible pain uh, something I've carried inside or, or even I think this compounded it seeing the way that the pain on the inside of me was moving through me into my relationships, into the world and what looked like creating even more pain. And then the shame that came from that. But the choice for me, when I think about this alchemy that I was mentioning in relation to you, Ruthie, when, when pain becomes something transformed for me, there has always been a decision to first not add more pain to the pain that's already there, right? Not shooting the second arrow or not blaming myself, shaming myself, not saying, and this is because I'm worthless or this is because I'm unlovable or I made this, I make the world a worse place. So not adding more pain, but then seeing, and again, this is a choice and it doesn't always feel available to us. And so in those moments, that's okay too. But seeing pain as some sort of doorway and truly, I mean, I wish I could, I wish I could be more um, kind of spiritual sounding than this, but really n- interpersonal neurobiology has completely changed the way <laughs> I see myself in the world. And I wish it was something like, wow, this, you know, this great meditation, this loving kindness meditation. And I, you know what, that would be a lie because the, the truth is <laughs> learning about kind of the hard science of our bodies and the way that we're wired to belong to each other has given me something that feels concrete, like moving back to empiricism, even just for those moments has been like, okay, I can, I can back this up, this claim. But one of the things that really changed me was understanding that sadness is wired to actually signal care from the other person. It's meant to signal to the other person's brain, whoever we're close to or in proximity to, hey, I'm hurting and I need you to come close and I need you to to reassure me and provide some comfort. And when we diminish our sadness, when we move away from it, we exclude ourselves from, from the ability to receive the comfort that could be there. And when we're not in tune with ourselves, then we can't respond to other people's sadness in a way that draws us towards that. So that mechanism of noticing the pain and being, if everyone's connected to their feelings, our bodies know how to do this thing that brings us close together. And in that moment, that sadness is this invitation for somebody to bring care in. Now, that's that's great on the outside, but 
what I think about is really transformative for me is seeing that same process as happening on the inside, that there is a part that is carrying pain still. I mean, she is still with me constantly. And there are these other parts though, that are so loving and nurturing. And I developed those nurturing parts because I felt my own pain and I responded to it and other people in such a way where I was like, oh, I know what it's like to be there. I want to be close to you and I want to help alleviate your aloneness. But I realized that I could turn those nurturing parts towards the pain parts within me and in that way, create a kind of inner relationship or inner landscape of so much nurturance. So even this week earlier, I was out for a run and I found this, this pain part of me kind of getting loud and she was some, saying some things that she used to say a lot and be really kind of with a lot of intensity, like she used to say them and they have a particular signature and kind of like pattern to them. And so I could recognize, wow, that's that part of me that's feeling this thing. And right away I, I stopped on the run and I sat down and I put my hand on my body in the place where I was kind of connecting to where that pain was. And I said, oh, hi. Yeah, you you're here and you have something to take to say something to tell me about what this is like for me. Tell me a little bit about what's going on and why are you here? And why did you come back? And why are you so loud? And what do you need? And wow, I really see that this thing that's happening right now around us is reminding you of this thing that happened a long time ago. And really just imagine going into this room. Sometimes I think about it like a kitchen table, or sometimes I think about it more of like this you know, uh, like a bedroom or something where there's these parts of me that get to meet and have dialogue and that part of myself that is so nurturing and attuned and loving of other people, that 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 gets pivoted and it moves directly towards the part of myself that feels pain. And in that way, it seems like the pain is an opportunity for even more care in a way that I, I don't know if I'd necessarily know how to do that if the pain wasn't there. And so really it's because of these these aches, these wounds that I have been able to develop a loving practice that I carry on the inside. I mean, I'm sure on some level it's possible to do that without so much wound, but for me, that has felt like the invitation constantly that when pain is there, whether it's physical, emotional, and I mean, the more research that we have about this, the more we see that they're not actually different, um, that your brain processes emotional, social, uh, psychological and physical pain, all, all the exact same way, all in the same parts of your brain. But whatever the reason is that the pain is there, the more pain, the more invitation, the more opportunity, the wider the doorway for the compassion and nurturance to come in. And instead of feeling just the pain, now I see myself in this relationship with all of these parts that know how to take care of each other. Mm. Uh. <laughs> So much of yes. Christianity that we all grew up with um, emphasizes the importance of helping others, loving others, serving others, and that's a that's a I think that's a beautiful thing about Christianity. But what I love um, hearing in both of you and seeing and experiencing in both of you is how much healing both of you bring to the world. But it's because you you went in like you went, there's so much of a an impetus a lot of times to be a good person you got to go out and do that go out and preach the gospel or go out and serve the poor or go out and help the widows and the orphans and <clears throat> again great beautiful but to see that when you 
move into your own body and you move into your own emotions that, and, and you then can heal and experience healing when you focus on that aspect of your reality of your life that Hillary was talking about being like this blade of grass that pops up through the concrete, that source of life that keeps you going and moving and, and you surrender to that by moving inward, that life breaks out and you guys are both, both of you are shining examples of that idea to me of how by moving in to that life that is inward, it spills out and and it, there's what better way of healing the world than by being that healing hmm. rather than Can I having just, this. Yeah. Oh gosh. You're just hitting something that I've been thinking about so much the last little while because I think of the idea of self and individual really as a, as a post-colonial construct that, that it's kind of minimizing the interconnectedness we have, we have between us, that yeah. it also creates this narrative we carry that, that as an individual, there's kind of a, a, a singular or, co- or coherent self-structure. And I actually think the more that I think about this and read and learn that there are parts of us on the inside, mm-hmm. that there are different elements or parts that we use depending on the context that we're in. Some parts feel young, some parts feel old. But when I think about the words of Jesus, especially the the story of wherever wherever there is the least of these, there I am in the midst of them. And for a long time, I thought that was outside. And yeah. I realized that we can create lists of these on the inside too. Mm. Our pain can be the least of these. And we can say, no, 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 our pain, my shame, the story about myself, it's unacceptable. It's unlovable. It needs to go away for me to be in society, for me to be okay. And I realized within myself, and I really put these two things together recently, that that I had been creating lists of these on the inside. And that I don't think that there's anything discriminatory about the love of God in such that God would say, um, well, those lists matter more. And I guess I think of God and, and the love of God or, or love itself as being here to undo all of these binaries or hierarchies where we say that is worthy of love and that is not, and to eradicate the separation between all of those things. And so thinking about that as existing on the inside for me has been a huge impetus for me to be able to move care towards myself, to say, oh, oh, love doesn't just get to go to the places that everybody else is, is are deserving. Love goes to all of the places that we have been told it cannot go, including on the inside. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I think, you know, so many of us have been told, like, deny thyself <laughs> the flesh. Is, you know, right. so many stories that <laughs> I don't believe were is the story of love in the first place. And so that that's such oh, that's such a beautiful invitation and such a beautiful visual of like we're all ev- there's there's no, you know, there's no us and them. It's it's always all it's for everyone. All of it is for everyone. Um, yeah. And you and me, we're all so deserving of it. Everyone's mm-hmm. so deserving of it. And the more you don't deny yourself, but you actually go in really lovingly and do that, the more that you are capable of going out and like we were saying earlier and, you know, mirroring that, that love. And it's, those mirror neurons are so beautiful. And the more you expand your own aura and your, that love inside of you, the brighter you are to go be 
that love. And yeah, it's just, it feels counter to what I've been taught, you know, but it feels like the truest thing I know. Hmm. Ruthie, you mentioned earlier this tension, or I'll call it a tension, um, this being the hardest thing you've done, like going into the pain Mm -hmm. instead of just pushing it away, Mm -hmm. but also how how it has been the kindest and most loving thing you've Mm -hmm. done for yourself. And to back it up even further to the beginning of the conversation, you were mentioning, right, one of the things that they noted on site, which is when things are really hard uh, for obvious reasons, sometimes they're even harder because of the non-obvious yeah. reasons, which is that our nervous system is remembering yes. what something was like before. So in light of all of the people who are listening, who are maybe just now putting together oh, this isolation is hard or not being able to see my family or not knowing what's going to happen next is is creating so much uncertainty, uncertainty for me because it's reminding me of my past trauma. Mm-hmm. And then hearing you say it's hard to go in, but it's also the kindest thing to go in. What might you say to somebody who's who's just about to start their journey or is starting their journey of trying to turn towards their pain yeah. and maybe is doing it now while all of this is happening, what would you want for them to know or what would you say directly to them? Well, first, piggybacking what you're saying, like one of the things they taught me at OnSite is when our responses to things are hysterical, they're always historical. Um, and so if we feel ourselves, it feels so big and just hysterical. Like this is, like you said, an, an invitation. And so I think first and foremost is like, such gentleness and care for yourself because this is a journey and right now is heightened. So you don't need to expect to come out of this like, okay, everything feels really chaotic and shitty. And so I'm going to do this work and come out on the other side of this and have it (laughs) like, that's just not, that's (laughs) not how it works. But I think taking note of what big things are coming up, but like, what is this triggering? And again, for me, writing is the, is the thing that I use the most that I feel like stream of consciousness writing allows me the space to like actually see things and to start kind of uh, with curiosity, just being really curious about what things it's bringing up. And just, I think in a lot of ways, just taking note because, you know, we, we heal, again, in community. And I think this is a time to like go in, start noticing the things, let it be an invitation and just be really, really, really kind and gentle with yourself. Cause we are in the very, 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 very messy middle. Like this is just beginning. Like, you know, this isn't, this is going to be, this is hard. This is really, really, really hard. So whatever you can do to be so gentle with yourself. I listened to I know I mentioned it earlier, but this podcast that Liz Gilbert did, and I've been writing myself a letter from the voice of love every day. And I bring up all of my fears because we can't, fear's not going to just go away. Like kind of like you said earlier, just be, be in conversation and let love talk to all those things that are coming up. Like I've seen a lot of shadowy stuff. Like this morning, I felt so envious of a situation and I, that's not mm-hmm. something I I I mean, I have that in me, but it's not something I genuinely feel all the time, right? And it was like, I felt so jealous of this experience that this girl was having. And I was like, whoa, 
wow, like what? Hi, you know, like I literally was like, hi, old friend. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> I know you, you know, and I think it's, it brought up just some old stories and I went and I wrote and I did this like embodiment thing. And I just tried to be really, really compassionate and tender because my old story would be like, ew, that's so gross. You don't feel that. That's not okay. That is not okay. That's fucking gross. Put that away. That's disgusting. You love her. Get over it, you know? And so instead being really, really gentle with myself and seeing this as like an opportunity to kind of be curious and go in and love on myself, I think that more than anything, because we're not going to just like have this all figured out. You can't go sit in front of a new counselor right now. You know what I mean? Like we, we need each other to be able to process, but I think what you can do is try to be so loving and so gentle and give yourself space to write out what exactly what you're feeling. Cause every feeling matters. Your feelings yeah. matter. And like you are given permission to feel whatever you feel. Like you, you can't push it away. If you push it away, it just, it comes out bigger. It comes out sideways. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. So I think just, yeah, compassion and being curious in this time. Like I'm trying to see when things are triggering, like what, what time frame or what, where did that voice originally come from? You know, where did that limiting voice, where did that, where was the original wound? And like, the more I write, I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know I remembered that. Like that, where did that come from? That's crazy, you know? And I'm just trying to be curious. I'm trying like to tap into my childlike curiosity and go back. Like the cover of my phone is a photo of me at one in my office. And like in front of my desk, it's a picture of me at my first birthday. And I'm dedicating my like embodiment practices to her. I'm like trying to just really, I'm every night I'm listening to an audiobook of someone's voice that, and then something that feels really nourishing, like someone's reading me to sleep. And it, I'm just doing things that feel nurturing when things feel scary, you know? And I'm in this bed alone and I'm scared. So what can I do for myself that feels really nurturing and loving and calming and peaceful? And yeah, whatever that feels like for you, you know, like there, you know, you have those answers inside of you, you know, everyone has those inside of them and knows what feels good for them. Um, So I would say really be curious about that. Oh, Oof, you're making me weepy here. I yeah, love it. So good. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Ruthie. Mm, thank y'all for letting me. There I am. The journey from hopelessness to healing comes out April 21st. Get it, get it, liturgists. Uh, you got. You're just sitting just in your say, house anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Read a book. Uh. <laughs> This book, just this book. I mean, Ruthie, you were so gracious to me to let me read some early versions of this book before it's in its form here. And gosh, every time I read it, it felt like I got something new out of it. So this, for me, your book has not just been like a one-time read. It's been like a every every angel, like once a quarter, (laughs) like once a month book. Like, oh, what do I need to remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have this way of inviting us into believing 
that the things that you know about yourself that we too could know about ourselves or do on some level already know, like there is this way that you help us remember, remember ourselves, remember what's true through telling your story. And I'm just, I personally am so, so grateful for your friendship and for your book. And I feel like, gosh, if there has ever been a time that we have needed it, it's now. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means so much. I'm so appreciative of both of y'all and letting me have this space to, it's like, oh, what a gift. (laughs) I've loved you for so long. So I'm so honored to be on this podcast that I just, uh, has been such medicine to me for so long. So I'm super, super appreciative and for y'all's friendships and your love. It just, it means more than I can put into words. Thank you. Thank you, Ruthie. We love you. We love you. I love y'all.